The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Welcome to Paper Cuts, the podcast all about books. No mai kina pipakiti te pakihiri roki roki ona puka puka. As usual, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at papercutspod and you can email us at papercutspod at gmail.com. I am one of your hosts, Karen Das, and I'm joined by Louisa Kossa and Jenna Todd. Today on Paper Cuts, we have the usual witch's brew of book news, book reviews, not books, and what is on our TBR piles. It's lovely to be back with you gals. Yay! I know. It's, it's been, so good to been be back. too long, guys. A long time between drinks. We missed each other <laughs> and we missed you, our listeners. Yes. But here we are. <laughs> it seems like, I feel like the, the vibe of the, the, the people at the moment is that everybody's lives have compacted into November there's so many events and mm. things due and it's people are just a bit crazy at the moment oh yeah my reaction has to be to like completely overcommit myself to lots of stuff mm-hmm, and not put mm-hmm. it in my calendar <laughs> so that I'm surprised on the day and I'm like yeah I guess I'll that's, go yes, I'll go to brutal. The <laughs> it's very brutal living on the edge truly it's thrilling so it, this yeah, is always it's so really... nice to be here and just yeah, Sitting it's home. a little respite. That's right. November, December is always really busy for me because it's sort of the end of year roundups and um, filing articles before publications kind of go on hiatus over summer. Everyone wants their best of lists. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Speaking our of. book news. <laughs> our book news is a bit of a prize winner's roundup extravaganza. And it's always good for when you're compiling your crimbo shopping lists. We've got a wide range of things here. So get your notebooks out. Um, starting off with Shuggy Bane wins the Booker Prize. Um, it's only the second Scottish author to win the Booker Prize. Um, the first was James Kalman for his book, um, which I've just forgot um, how late it was, how late he won that in 1994. And um, anyone who knows me will know that Shaggy Bain was one of my books of the year. Uh, I really, really loved this book. And I was so happy when Douglas Stewart won. I was watching the awards ceremony. They did a weird kind of Zoom remote access um, ceremony for the booker. And I actually burst into tears when he won. Aww. <laughs> oh, Karen. Um, and I actually heard that it was rejected about 30 times before it got published. And 
interestingly, it got, he's a Scottish author, but it was published in um, the States by Grove Atlantic before it got picked up in the UK, um, even though it's such a, you know, Scottish story. Um, so I think that's amazing. And I just wanted to read a little thing out by Margaret Busby, who was a publisher, and she was the chair of the Book of Judges. And she said about Shuggy Bane that it is destined to be a classic, and she described it as a moving, immersive, nuanced portrait of tight-knit social worlds, its people and its values. And she said that the book deals with tough subject matter, with characters who are not having an easy time, but it's a hopeful read in a different sort of way. And she said, anybody who reads it will never feel the same. And that's one thing that I think too, I said that in my RNZ review, you'll just never forget this book or the characters. So I think it makes up for last year's Booker fiasco. <laughs> Gosh, I already forgot about that. Yeah, um, why well, hadn't forgotten? <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to bring that up. Um, it, I th- it looks fantastic. I was, I was, I don't know how to put this, but I was pleased when I found out that it was a gay white male writer and not mm. just it's, a straight yeah, cis yeah, white sure. male writer. Um, it's and very it, much yeah a queer story because Shuggy the character he is queer and he's effeminate but not just that it's a regional story and a working class story so love that put any kind of prejudice aside about who yeah I'll put, yeah. I'll put aside my prejudice against <laughs> white men, white men. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 very worthy yeah. Um, Awesome, awesome. And there's going to be more of a review of that, perhaps, further into the pod? Oh, yeah, I'm going to blather on more about (laughs) Shaggy Bane. (laughs) It's my review. (laughs) Um, And next up, the Goldsmiths Prize. People will know, um, you guys will all know, that the Goldsmith is one of my favourite literary prizes. And I'm always interested to see um, who wins that. Last year, of course, it was Ducks Newburyport by Lucy Alman, which we all loved. And this year it was The Sunken Land Begins to Rise Again by M. John Harrison. Um, it appears to be a science fiction fantasy novel. Oh, that's, that makes so, sense with that title. Yeah, an uncanny tale of Brexit Britain. That's pretty much all I know about it. But mm. um, yeah, it looks really interesting. It looks like a kind of brilliant, realist fantasy. So people might want to check that out. Sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can I... <laughs> this next, this next this note next cracks one. me up. So the Bailey Gifford Prize is always a really kind of critical prize in the book world. Um, it was formerly known as the Samuel Johnson Prize, and it celebrates the best nonfiction Um, published in English, so it's always really interesting um, books, the best of non-fiction. Of course, last year it was The Five by Hallie Rubenfold um, about Jack Ripper's victims. Mm. Yeah. And this year it was a book about the bloody Beatles, (laughs) which I just find kind of preposterous because how many books about the Beatles are there? There, it's, It's endless and how many new angles can you find about this pop group (laughs) it's kind of extraordinary to me who would have imagined that this could win um what's the angle do you know well uh, the bailey gifford judges have declared that this book has and i quote reinvented the art of biography so you know that's sounds very compelling um and the book's called one two three four the beatles in time and it's by craig brown 
So as a music book lover, I'll probably check it out. And he wrote that book about um, Princess Margaret, Ma'am Darling. Ooh. Which um, people loved that, eh? People I mean, she's it. Yeah. It does sound great. pretty intriguing. She, yeah, she's such a great yeah. character. I mean, she's a, she's a real person. But. <laughs> Like she is like a larger than life like For character, sure. and it's yeah, not like I definitely. know her. As a yeah. <laughs> she's um, justifying herself. Um, fuck the Beatles, though. Seriously. <laughs> Do you like? Are you one of those Beatles or Rolling Stones? Oh, uh, like when I was younger, I liked the Rolling Stones. That sounds so weird, but it's true. Like I grew up in a Stones household. Why does that sound weird? Because um, it sounds like I was like a teenager in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> I was from a Stones household as yeah, well. I, yeah, I grew up yeah. in a Stones yeah. household, but I mean, I'm not like, now I'm just like, they can both get fucked. I'm so sick of <laughs> listening to the stupid ass music of the boomers. Like, they need to get, ho- like, you know, we need to like get their fucking ri- rigid skeletal grip off the popular culture, you know. Keith Richards isn't going anywhere. Oh, so <laughs> sick of it. So, so we, need our, we need new heroes. Anyway. Mm. That was my little rant. This could be a potential uh, future side podcast. Yeah. This could be the end of paper cuts. <laughs> never, never. I could get fired. Um, speaking of end of podcasts, did you guys see, it's not on the oh, notes, at the Hilo's The Hilo. Oh, my God. Not it's that no I listen, more. But, oh, my God. Yeah, it's quite, <laughs> quite big news because it's such a, that podcast really lays out a cultural landscape and like taste of a lot of people of what books they're reading. It, it kind of branches out quite far and wide, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, and lots But they've of been doing it for it. a long time. Four they've years. They've been doing it for a long time. Four years and they said they want to end on a high and I... Feels like longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, oh, savage. And I also think that um, maybe that both of their, bo- their books are out this year and all yeah. the promo stuff is all... Done. I like the Hilo. I like li- listening to it when I'm um, doing like kind of menial tasks at work, like accounts and stuff. You can zone in and zone out of it. I was talking to um, Katrina from the book council. Book council, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was talking to Katrina from the book council about the Hilo. Love Katrina. Hi Katrina. Yeah, we love She'll Katrina. Deep friend of the pod. Mm-hmm. And. Um, she said something like, she was talking about the Hilo, and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 like non-committal, trying to pretend that I knew what was up. <laughs> and she, like, I know, I've, like, tried to listen to it, but I have, I didn't really get into it. And she said that she sometimes felt, like, really triggered by how posh they are. And mm. I was like, yes, that is definitely part of the vibe, I think, for me. The like, very posh. Very glossy. Very, very glossy lady. Very. One of them was a writer for Made in Chelsea. Ah. Oh. Oh, which I still haven't watched, but that's about you posh people. Neither. It. Yeah, it's all um, posh people. So Dolly Alderton is one of them, right? Yeah, she's the writer of... Did you guys read that savage review of Ghosts? Yes. That's so funny. So funny. It was, it was so all over Twitter. Up. We should link we should, it um, We should notes. link it. It was fantastic. Um, made me laugh out loud. Me too. It was a great <laughs> example of, a, yes, a savage review, but man, you would... Not want that written about your book. Oh my god! You would I would die. I would. I would like burrow like ten legs into the earth and just never surf, come up to the air again. Oh, it was great. Great job. Good job. Yeah. Oh, shit, okay. Really. Anyway, back to the news <laughs> list on that little sideways. And um, the National Book Awards have recently been announced. I love the National Book Awards, yeah. and um, I hadn't read anything on the 
no, of the winners, but I thought two of the winners really stood out, which was Interior Interior Chinatown, Chinatown. Oh, by Charles great. Yu. That yeah. should be in a bookstore near you, like early next year. And it's written as a screenplay, a playful but heartfelt, a send up of Hollywood tropes and Asian stereotypes. Um, and the translated prize looked really good too. Tokyo Uno Station by Yu Mary and translated by Morgan Gillies. It's narrated by a dead character whose life has been shaped by bad luck with, within Japanese history. It's a look into ma- a marginalised existence in a shiny global megalopolis Galopolis of Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> that was sounds cold. Megalopolis. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> uh, that's a a bold word yeah. to pronounce on air. I think. I know. Yeah. I listened to someone saying it over and over again, and still couldn't crack <laughs> it. You know, it's when you're in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. A fun fact about um, the National Book Award is that Shaggy Bane is one of the very few, if not only, books that has been shortlisted for the Booker Prize and. Um, for the National Book Award as well. Mm, so it's yeah. a testament to its quality. Um, yeah. And so he is Scottish by birth, but he lives in the US, doesn't he? He's Scottish and um, was born and bred there and then moved to New York to work in the fashion industry. I believe textiles and knitting oh, um, cool. is what he does. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, we're back on Shaggy, Shaggy Bane. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then who wrote this news? I wrote this news. Can cool. I? I didn't bring my own copy of the notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, here is Louise's local awards roundup. Um, just wanted to say Ooh. congratulations yeah. to the recipients of the Prime Minister's Awards for Literary Achievement. Um, so we had Sir Timothy Karitu, um, we had Tessa Duda, and we had Jenny B- Bornholt. So that's you know that award is a huge deal, and I think they're all super deserving. Um, and it's just lovely that the pri- that you know that it's part of the prime minister's awards is these literary achievement ones. Um, mm, mm. And further down the line, I've got the Naya Marsh Awards. Um, so Becky Manawatu actually won one of these. She did indeed with Oer. Um, kind of a stretch to say that it's crime, but I just love yeah. that her book is winning another <laughs> yeah. award. Like yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm not mad. I'm Give just like um, yeah, she deserves all the awards. Unstoppable. Totally. And then um, also RWR McDonald won with the Nancys, um, mm. which is Ellen and Unwin. Um, I think and they're an Australian-based author, aren't they? Yeah, is that right? that's correct. Yeah. Um, and but, but from New Zealand, um, grew yes. up on a sheep farm in the South Island, I believe. Yeah. Um, that actually looks like a really cool book. I've been meaning to read it for quite some time now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> sort of just it's that there. punk book, eh? It always kind of jumps out at you. Totally. Oh, it's such cover. a good cover. Yeah, it's, You're like, it's oh, yeah, that book. Baby pink with um, lots of eyes all over it. Yeah. I've got some active wear that looks really similar to um, that book cover. Oh, can we please get a photo of you holding the yeah. book in your activewear? Um, just for my personal records, not not for the podcast, just for fun. I was, um, I really stereotyped that book by gender because for ages I thought it was a woman that wrote that book, and I think it was because it had a pink cover. No, it's until a, man, a customer man. told me it was a man. Yeah, yeah. I think I did the same, Jenna. Yeah, mm. maybe that was <laughs> We're terrible with the um, initials. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. Also the um, name. <laughs> the oh, yeah. Sorry, it's still my turn. <laughs> and um, the New Zealand Heritage Literary Awards winners were announced. There's quite a long list of those, so do check it out and we'll link it. Um, but it includes Friends of the Pod, Fiona Kidman and Caroline Barron. So congratulations well to done. those guys. Very exciting. Love, love a local award. Yeah, great. And that brings us to the end of our book news. Hooray. <laughs> so now we're on to <laughs> so back, we're on to our reviews. Back to Shuggy. I can't wait. Yeah, um, let's just get right back to into your guys Shuggy. Reviews. Come on, Karen. Um, and you're reviewing a book that I was going to review as well, Louisa, and I absolutely loved, so I can't wait for Ooh, you to well, talk about your one. We can have but, a convo about it. That would be great. Um, Shuggy Bange. Team Shuggy. <laughs> so... <laughs> absolutely love this book it's my favorite novel of 2020 and it's a working class novel largely set in the 1980s on post-industrial council estates in Glasgow and it's a grim time it's a time of shipbuilding and the mines and steel mills are closing Um, there's an impending drug epidemic and it's really austere and tough living and what this novel is is a really heartbreaking and beautiful story of the very specific relationship dynamic between a mother and son which is a really interesting dynamic to explore I think in fiction and what it is to love and care for a parent who is an addict and all the complexities around that so Shaggy Bain is the son but um, his mother is Agnes and it is very much Agnes's story she's very front and center to this novel and she is such a memorable character Um, she's poor she's living a life on tick Um, But she's also very aspirational and um, very proud and she's very sharp and she might be a bit broken, but she's very funny as well. And she's described as the Glaswegian Elizabeth Taylor, which I really love. (laughs) And Stuart paints a really strong picture of her. She's broken and disappointed by life and... Her husband's described as a cheating bag of soup bones, which I just (laughs) love that description. He's a taxi driver and he leaves her with her three children. And she has this amazing crumbling glamour about her. Um, She's got a lacquered beehive and immaculate makeup and these really shiny porcelain fake teeth. (laughs) She's always kind of um, glinting and she's the star of her own kind of volatile matinee, um, like an invisible audience. And she swills Carlsberg's special brew from the tin and vodka from teacups. Um, She's got a drinking problem. And so he's left her with the three children and eventually the two older ones fall away and leave her as well, I guess in a way to kind of save themselves. And who is left but Shuggy, the youngest. And Shuggy is a really gorgeous and special character. And this novel is largely very autobiographical as well. So I think that gives a very powerful authenticity to this narrative. Um, So Shuggy's lonely and he's a bit different in this kind of really gritty, tough, masculine working class landscape because he's quite effeminate and everybody around him knows what is different about him apart from him Um, and I think what this novel does really beautifully is navigate what from the inside what it is like to be a young queer man living inside an intensely patriarchal society and what it's like to access feelings under these kind of circumstances. 
Um, and another thing I think it does really joyously too is explore poverty and the shame of poverty, but beyond that, the rejection of this shame and to be proud, um, which is a really beautifully nuanced thing to do. And I love that it's a working class novel and it's from a new angle because it's not kind of the men who are working um, as shipbuilders or in steel mills or whatever. It's the women and it's the women in the community and the resilience of women and the importance of women and their standing in communities. Um, they're actually at the centre and I think um, that's really important. So I think Stuart wrote this book in around... 10 years around his full-time job and he just kind of beavered away at it and I guess in a sense it was probably quite a cathartic process for him to do because there's a lot of pain and heartbreak um, to reconcile there um, but the writing really gleams it is um, sustained from beginning to end which is amazing and also don't forget this is a debut novel um, which I think is really impressive it's like it I think I read somewhere it was like a voice that emerged fully formed and I, I really agree with that. Um, and I think this Booker one is really important and kind of triumphant for regional voices and working class stories. Um, and I, yeah, I do promise people that when you read Shaggy Bane, you won't forget Agnes and Shaggy, they'll stay with you forever. It's a really special book. Great names. Agnes and Shuggy. Agnes. Is yeah. Shuggy his real yeah. name? Like is Um it's Hugh. Oh, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Hugh, yeah. And um Yeah, Shuggy. It's such an amazing book. I'm so stoked that it won. Aww, yeah. thank you, Karen. And um I'm really excited too because my old mate. Douglas, I'm going to interview him <gasps> soon. So, oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Oh, he'll be feeling the love for sure. You, yeah. you guys going to be yeah. besties. Oh yeah. Oh mate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Shaggy Bane. And what's next? Well, maybe I should go next because um, my book is somewhat related. Mm, uh, yes. Yes. So I am reviewing um, another another book that was shortlisted for the Man Booker. Real Life by Brandon Taylor, which is published by Daunt Books, came out this year, of course. Um, so Brandon Taylor, we have talked a little bit about about this book before, but um, yeah, Brandon Taylor is the editor of um, Electric Literature's Recommended Reading, which is a really terrific um, e-newsletter done by Electric Literature where they send you short stories by amazing writers to your inbox. I've been subscribed for years. Mm. Um, I've fallen off a bit with reading it lately, but that's just because um, I subscribe to too many newsletters. <laughs> and um, But, uh, yeah, so I was really intrigued to read his book, especially when I saw that it was shortlisted. And I was mm. thrilled to see that it was shortlisted because, it, mm. you know, when you compare it with, say, last year's shortlist, it's, um, I mean, he's also American, so that's obviously a big difference. Um, and also a de another debut novel as well. Another debut novel um, by by a queer man, um, and he is also, of course, a, um, a black guy, um, so a black queer author. And he, um, I think similarly to Shuggy Bane, there are elements of, mm. um, of his own life in this story. Um, yes. Which I only found out after I'd read the book. And as I was reading it, I was like, wow, this seems really not 
like what his life must have been. So um, it follow- our protagonist is called Wallace, which is another great name. What an awesome mm-hmm. name for a protagonist. Um, I wonder if that's like a... Um I just thought of this now, but I wonder if that's like a re- reference to like Wallace Stegner, you know, because like, it feels like a book that's kind of in the vein of that very classic American. Who's Wallace Stegner? Writing. Oh, he wrote an amazing book called Crossing to Safety. Oh, um, maybe I'll talk it on the pod book, sometime. What happens yeah. in that book? I feel like I can't remember. <laughs> it's very atmospheric. <laughs> I read it when I was in the States. Um, amazing book. When did that come Is it about out? two couples? Yeah. It's an old. It's an old book. How, how old are we talking? I don't know, like decades. Okay. And it's a um, a modern classic edition. Modern with classic. With the yellowy kind of cover and the white spine and the yep. silverback. Yep. Yeah, I have read that. That's the one. Oh, I haven't. Um. <laughs> oh, but anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, don't be sorry. I want you to interrupt as much as you want, Karen. This can be a convo. <laughs> um, so I will say that Wallace is a black queer student um, studying at a Midwestern university. Um, he's studying molecular biology. And the molecular biology is what threw me off. I was like, this couldn't possibly be autobiographical. No one who writes novels has ever studied molecular biology. Um, not true. <laughs> Brandon Taylor fact, did study molecular <laughs> biology at a Midwestern university. Truly, I know. It's, I was astounded at my own presumption. How can those worlds collide? Um, well, I'm yeah. so impressed by people who live in, in both worlds. And I think it's, it's um, important to show that that is a thing. I think that when we're kids, we're often told, you know, you can be arty or you can be sciencey. And if you're definitely, and if you represent and identify as female, know um people might want you to be more arty i'd say yep. certainly yep. i think there's a there's a stereotype of that that exists in the world anyway um so wallace is on a scholarship and he um comes from a rural um kind of reasonably poor background in alabama um his, his family again there's addiction in his family background yeah his mother was a drinker um He's estranged from his father, who just kind of moved his into a house down the street. His father's just died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at the beginning, and he hasn't told any of his friends. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so his dad had, like, he was estranged from his father, so he has a really weird relationship to his dad's death. So at the start of the book, we're introduced to Wallace. He's walking to um, meet some friends of his by this kind of ginormous artificial lake at this Midwestern town that has these kind of like algal blooms that are sometimes like reasonably <laughs> toxic and people sometimes swim in it and sometimes they get rashes. And <laughs> So from the very start, there's this kind of like... Um, <laughs> this kind of uncomfortable relationship with um, with nature um, yeah. and that kind of tension that's been in so many great novels, you know, like, you know, Frankenstein and so on, like throughout the years, that tension of uh, man's mastery over nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think anyway, I see that as a through line in the book a little bit. Um, so he's walking to meet his friends and he hasn't seen them for quite a while. And the whole time he's walking towards them, he's thinking, I don't want to be here. I just want to go home I, or I want to go back to the lab. I just can't deal with this. And you're thinking, oh, why? What, what's going on? And then he gets to his friends. They are all 
all of the people at the table, this, at this picnic table, they're all white and mm. they all come from reasonably different backgrounds to him. And we kind of see throughout the novel, it's all, it's all told from within Wallace's um, own consciousness. But sometimes I got the impression that I was looking at him from the outside as if I was one of his friends and seeing him as, you know, sometimes you meet people who are really intriguing and you want to be their friend, but they're so locked up um, mm-hmm. and you know that they have so much goodness inside them, but you just can't quite get at it and they're kind of hoarding it. And, you, and it's, it's, it's sort of that... You, some, you can't you can, access it. Yeah, you can't access it. And you can tell that they want to let yeah. it out and you want to get at it, but it's there's something <laughs> stopping it. There's some kind of blockage. And those people are often so intriguing. And so I really enjoyed reading a novel that seemed to represent to me the interior life of one of those people. And yeah. as and the book, with a really light touch, kind of releases nuggets of information about, about why Wallace is the way he is, why he's so locked up. Um, so as you said, Karen, his father's died, which we find out like a wee way into the book, like because he, oh no, not a wee way, like pretty, pretty, pretty close to the start of the book. But um, he yeah. doesn't mention it to anyone until no. someone finds him crying by the lake, yeah. his friend Emma. And then she is um, an interesting character because she really loves him and she she's kind mm-hmm. of the the more sympathetic character who's who's trying to get it at the at the goodness inside him but she kind of betrays his trust because she tells the rest of their friends about it because you know she wants them all to look after Wallace she wants them all to care she thinks that he wants that but she has no idea what his relationship is like with his dad his dad left him and moved into a house down the street and told him don't visit me when Mm -hmm. he was only a child um, and also there was a really awful um, incident where Wallace was sexually abused as a child and his fa- his parents' reaction to that was, you know, to put it mildly, really unsatisfactory. Mm. So he has a really complicated relationship with his parents, but he's around these middle-class white people who their reaction is, oh, your dad died? That's so sad. I'm so sorry. Oh, oh my God, you didn't go to the funeral? What the fuck is wrong with you? You know, because he hadn't gone to the funeral. <coughs> Um, so mm. they just have no kind of common ground with him on these on these subjects. Um, but yeah, something I really enjoyed was, as I said, that kind of when he's in the lab and you, and you hear about what he's doing and what he's doing <laughs> nematodes. Is, he's <laughs> chopping up these little tiny tiny creatures called nematodes into tiny <laughs> slices, um, and it's all it's quite beautifully written. Um, the care that he that he uses, but um, there's actually another thread of the story is that he's um, facing some kind of institutional racism at yeah. the lab in the form of his supervisor, and he's also got tension going on with one of his fellow students, who I think is also a scholarship student potentially, and maybe from and she's kind of potentially been tampering with his experiments. Yes, which is just... And he has to work so hard, and as a person of colour, of course, has to work so much harder than his white peers, which is definitely a thing that exists. And they're like, well, Wallace, you're just not working hard enough if your experiments aren't working, um, and he's doing everything right. But there's this other kind of scab hanging around 
kind of meddling, isn't there? Oh, it's just it's just scab horrendous. in the lab. Scab in the lab. Yeah, scab in the lab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she, yeah, she, I think, um, yeah, his nemesis at the lab, the one who they suspect is tampering, like she. She like ruined his experiment, and that's months of work down the drain. She, I think, is someone who's really insecure in herself because I think she comes from not a very privileged background either. And unfortunately, rather than finding common ground with Wallace, mm. she sees him as an easy person to take down because not only is he maybe from a poorer background like she is, but he is also queer and black. So it, yeah. it's it's really upsetting when you read that stuff. It really is. Yeah, yeah and it's, it really is. it's so well told. I think. Um, Definitely. I guess kind of the elephant in the room, and the only reason it's the elephant in the room is because I <coughs> failed to mention it thus far, because <laughs> I've been talking about other things, um, is that um, in his group, there are a few um, gay men, um, and some of them, a couple of them are in a relationship, um, but Wallace is, is alone <coughs> and quite lonely. Mm. Um, mm. But one of his friends, <laughs> who identifies as straight... <laughs> ends up in a relationship with Wallace. Um, yeah. A very intense sexual and romantic relationship that is nevertheless played out with this understanding that um, that the guy is straight. And it's a, a really bizarre kind of cognitive dissonance that I think is actually not that uncommon in, um, mm. in queer relationships where someone will say, I'm straight, this is happening, but it's also not happening. It's not really it, happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's on the D-low, it's on the down-low, as yeah. they say, um, which is pretty horrendous. But I think actually um, Brandon Taylor does a really good job of portraying the complexity of how much solace Wallace actually, oh, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, solace Wallace, how much solace. <laughs> Scared <laughs> lamb, solace Wallace. <laughs> I hope Brandon Taylor never listens to this. <laughs> How much solace he finds in this really, um, in this really bizarre and, in many ways, unsatisfying relationship. Um, so, this is a book that I, I actually read it a few weeks ago, which might be why I'm slightly hazy on some of the details. But I, I, I don't think I am that hazy because it actually stayed with me. No, you're me. not. Thanks. Yeah. Um, because it was, it's very vivid. I, I still it feel it. I still f- am Same. carrying the aftermath, and I think that yeah, it's such a. Such a mark of a good book, I think, eh, Karen? I, I agree 100%. And like Shaggy Bain, I think this is another novel that has emerged fully formed from start to finish. And he's a short story writer. And, man, you can tell because you read this book. I actually read the first page out to people because it is exquisite. And so I think his short story writing has really informed his book very precise and elegant kind of writing um it is such a beautiful book but I think one thing I really loved it too is the really nuanced way that he kind of describes and captures the very specific frosty friendliness and quiet hostilities and constant microaggressions and really small slights and friendships Oh, yeah. And he forces you to read them and acknowledge them in the book. And I think everybody should read this book. But it is so subtle that 
it's not like a lot of those kind of race books that really bash you over the head with what is going on. It is very subtle and some people won't pick up on these microaggressions that are happening. But man, when I was reading it, I was just like, my blood was kind of boiling and I was nodding along in recognition. And there are a few people I would have loved to have read bits out to. <laughs> Name them now. Um, <laughs> But, you know, there's just that whole interesting thing that Wallace has kind of migrated into a space that he's not entirely comfortable in and he's not really meant to be there because he's so different. Um, he doesn't even really fit in with his circle of friends. Um, yeah. But I think, um, and all the thing about how, do you notice, Louisa, that there were different rules for Wallace than what there were for his friends? So... The way they treated him was so kind of crap at times. Yeah. And the very few times that he dared behave the way that his white friends did, they were so affronted and so shocked and could not handle it oh, because yeah. there's different rules. I was cringing when I was reading Absolutely. Um, and nobody sticks up for him. Nobody yes. sticks up for Wallace. Um they see stuff happening, but nobody sticks up for him. And because, there's yeah. also, he's constantly second guessing himself and kind of always doing that really kind of tedious labour of dissecting things and wondering, oh, was that racist? What does that mean? Yeah. And it's well, that heavy are, load. There are moments that are really clearly racist, I think. And there are moments <clears> that are more implicit that keep on happening. And as you say, his friends repeatedly fail him. And Oh my gosh, like those people. Oh, just <laughs> they have these bullshit dinner parties and oh. you know, this fucking French guy is like <laughs> just says something Fuck that, that is guy. straight up racist and, and yeah, and just so repulsive. What, and what period of time is this book set over? I think it's in the maybe a few years ago, like yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And is it so over it's, a summer know, or is it over a over few a years? Over a summer. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's over a summer and um, the title of the book, Real Life, kind of refers to, I think, this uneasy space that they're in because they're in their fourth year of study mm. and they're really absorbed and they, I think most of the group of friends are in the same lab and they're really absorbed in their science lives um, but they're also kind of playing at being adults, you know, even though they're university yeah. students and everyone knows that's the dinner parties that's really and, the training group. Yeah. yeah, the dinner parties and all that. <laughs> and so yeah. someone at some point says, this is real life, Wallace. I think it's Wallace's lover, actually, who says it. Um, Can't remember. And, but it's, yeah, the, the idea of real life is really played with because they're all, they're playing at being adults. They're having these fucking dinner parties where he just, oh, it's, it breaks my heart to see how his friends fail him and how his and also how his mentors fail him at the university. Mm, and mm. as you say, Karen, he's the one who's having to work overtime in his brain, mm. passing situations. Was that racist? Was that bad enough for me to say something? If I say something, will people back me up or will they be offended? And that mm, like you say, exactly. they're affronted. They they're made uncomfortable by him sticking up for himself and it just it, it kills the vibe. And yeah. they they <laughs> care more about the vibe of the dinner party than yeah. about their friends' yes. like psychological yes. well being. But it's yeah. so lightly done. And as as you say, mm. he does such a good job of portraying the little, not not little, but the the subtle thing, the subtle ways 
that people might not even be aware that they're being fucking racist jerks. It's very, I think it was, so for the Booker Prize, Lee Child, of course, was one of the judges. And he said about this book, um, it's how lots of little things matter and big things don't. And I thought that was such a beautiful observation about this book. Um, Yeah, it was really cool. And I guess it's just a wonderful book about friendship and social dynamics. Um, And it really comfortably fits in the realm of smart, educated people. So I think it would be perfect for people who loved a little life and for people who loved normal people. Yeah, absolutely. um, Yeah, it just sits really comfortably alongside. And I would have been completely happy if this book had won the Booker Prize. Oh, me too. Yeah, it's that campus novel. I love a campus novel, Secret History, one of my faves, um, that that kind of thing as well. Um, And to, to your point earlier, Karen, um, the short story writing aspect of, of Brandon Taylor's craft is, as you say, really evident in the writing. You know, it's so funny. We keep on drawing out different parts of this book. It's quite a short book. And, and, it it, and it doesn't seem like actually a lot happens. It's not There's not this huge plot of like crazy things happening, but there's so many things to draw out of it. But don't lest we forget the writing itself is so beautiful so immediate so poetic and shining yeah and just every moment is so perfectly observed and you know you'll watch a drop roll down a a drop of condensation roll down a window pane and you'll enjoy it you know (laughs) it's so it's so elegant and I think I said on the last pod that it does remind me of you know classic writers like John Williams, who wrote Stoner, and Richard Yates, and all those very classic yeah. American writers. I feel like this is a is going to be a classic. It should be, and also Daunt Books. They do fantastic publishing. Hell yeah, as well. Great. So I, I want to put this on my summer reading pile. Oh, put it on your summer read. Um, you'll love it, yeah. Jenna. I, I know yeah, I'm I sure will. you will. And he's got um he's got a collection of short stories coming out next year as well. Awesome. So that'll be great. Um, I also wanted to mention, I read a fantastic article. Um, it was an interview with him on The Guardian, and I loved his vibe. He was so kind of stroppy. <laughs> uh, it was awesome. So we'll link to that. I'll send it awesome. through. Um, I'd love to read it. Great cool. interview. Yeah. All right. I think that, I think I'm I'm done. My tank's empty, finally, <laughs> on that, on that book. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So glad you liked it. Yeah, I was, I was so happy to be able to talk about it with you on the pod. Yeah. Um, Jenna. Okay. Who Have you guys read Convenience Store Woman? Yes. Yeah. Loved it. No. Um, so this is the new novel by Sayaka Murata, which, who wrote Convenience Store Woman. And... I just want to say a little bit about Convenience Store Woman because I think it really sets up this novel as well. So that was a real runaway hit in 2016. Mm. And it's about a 36-year-old single woman who really enjoys her job at the local convenience store despite her friends and family wanting her to be more ambitious. And I feel like this narrative of Convenience Store Woman is just a step on the ladder towards the bonkers storyline of Earthlings. So it's quite a wild read. Um, so Natsuki is a young girl whose only true companion is her cousin Yu. And she sees him annually at her grandparents' home in the mountains. And the one thing they have in common, apart from being related, is that the belief that they're aliens from the planet Popinopi. 
Sepia. <laughs> what a great name. And said with it such confidence. Really <laughs> Every That's time cute. I read it, I'd be like, oh, God, how do you even say that? Um, they are also in love. They oh. plan to marry. And in the meantime, mm. we'll live by the motto, survive no matter what. It's quite a mantra in this this novel. That's quite heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and so survival is the strategy that Natsuki uses in her daily life in Chibuya, where she lives with her family. Her parents and sister are awful to her. She doesn't even feel related to them. And she's being preyed upon by a student teacher at her cram school. Her only hope is her future with you and her comfort of having magical powers given to her by her hedgehog plush toy called Piot, who is from planet Poppin Poppy Beer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, keep going, get Okay, I'll keep going. Um, it's cool. Although, I mean, a good note to pause on because the hedgehog is on the cover of the book. I know, it's so cute. And it's super cute. It's so cute. Okay, I'm um, glad to know the meaning of why it's there. So there's an incident, and maybe it's something you can guess happens that separates Natsuki and you. Can is you it having it? sex? Maybe. Um, <laughs> okay. oh, so um, tell me. They're right. se- yeah, they're separate, you know, they're yeah. caught and their families separate them never to ah. be go to the mountains again. And and why is that? Is it because they're cousins? And yeah, it's they're, like, they're properly related. They're first cousins. <laughs> yes. They're blood first cousins. Okay. Um, and so then we meet uh, Natsuki again at age 34, which kind of feels similar to this age of the convenience store woman character. And she's in this arranged asexual marriage with a man she meets on she met on um, surunuke.com and so they've made this arrangement to live and look like they appear to be in a happy marriage and that they are participating in so-called normal society and what they call the factory and they're always oh talking gosh. about the factory and um, but it's kind of getting to the, the time where people are like well when are you getting pregnant and what's oh, yeah. happening mm. god it's fun <laughs> Being a woman yeah, in the totally. world, um, uh, but <laughs> me- and meanwhile these guys don't even touch each other. So there's some incredibly dark things that have happened in Natsuki's past, and these end up taking her as an adult woman and her husband back to the mountains and back to you. The, the cousin, not you, you. Yeah, oh, yeah no, <laughs> I, I got that. <laughs> Um, Back to me, Melissa yeah. <laughs> I'm in the novel. So I will trigger warning you on this, but there's so many trigger warnings, so I can't even barely keep up with them. There is like some major, um, quite graphic sexual abuse in this. There's oh, murder, wow. there's incest, there's cannibalism. There's something oh. else that I can't think of, but it's kind of in that realm of... <laughs> And it looks like such a twee friendly. I know, it's so cute. Like this cute little hedgehog on the top. Um, It's so dark, but it's really funny. And um, and it creates this plane of existence and understanding for survivors of sexual abuse of like, what Mm. world do you have to go to when the world that you're living in in your daily life is not safe and yeah. it's kind of absurd and kind of a horror as well so think the vegetarian meets parasite mm-hmm. uh, meets matthew barney's drawing restraint nine which is like this oh, 2005 um, art film with bjork and this like 
artist called Matthew Bunny, who was her husband, and he was an ex-model. He's the crew master guy. The crew master eh? guy. Yeah. um, Yeah, it's a wild ride. Like, I feel some people would just read it and just be like, what the actual fuck is this? But some people would. And so if people liked Convenience Store One, because people loved that book, will they like this one? Would you? I think they will. I really think they will, because then you get the kind of kookiness of it. But, uh, yeah, I would put a deep warning on people that are, like, just don't want to even touch the sexual yeah. abuse stuff because it's graphic. Mm. But I think it's it's important to read because it's really predatory and it um, it creates a visualisation that carries you through the rest of the book and really helps you understand, understand the main character. And it's a really visceral, um, uh, uh, like, imagining of... And then the way that she uses that imagery to, like block the characters relationships with other people is really smart and just like understandable I think so I do think if you can get past that you will understand why it's there mm. sounds cool yeah. so you'd read it in a couple of days I was just reading on a plane and I was just like my eye, <laughs> eyeballs were just like <laughs> popping out of my head but um bugging yeah, out yeah she's so interesting I just love um I love these stories by these Japanese um, or Asian writers and like Korean writers where they just like are pulling out the full kook from these really traditional societies that are quite hard to break out of. It's like quite a prescribed way of living in those countries. And um, to to be a weirdo is a bold start. It's a very bold, Mm. yeah, yeah, Mm. for sure. Yeah, Um, convenience store woman. When I seem to recall that 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 had that sort of twee exterior but actually mm. things did get quite dark yeah. and there was violence yeah. um, but there also mm-hmm. was a lot of like kooky funny stuff so it doesn't seem but this kind of seems to me like maybe it's it's a step up on, on the crazy ladder totally um, totally and then it's almost like is this is this even real you're not sure oh cool yeah love that yeah love love that <laughs> I mean I'm, you've just got to have the old Poppin' poppier, poppier. Oh, um, I love it. I love it. And is this, um, does she write in English or is it translated? I'm pretty sure this is translated. Yeah, it's translated yeah. by Ginny Tapley Takemori. Cool. Yeah. Il- the idiot lady. Oh. Elif Batuman likes this. <laughs> the idiot lady. Yeah. The idiot lady. <laughs> who wrote this? Oh, who wrote, who wrote <laughs> the idiot? Yeah. So oh, I, I knew, I knew he wrote, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. She, she wrote a um, Oh yeah, she said, I love review. this book. A, a radical, hilarious, heartbreaking look at the garbage we have all internalised in order <laughs> to fit in and survive. Sweet. That's definitely a book that's on my radar. Like you, I love these these kooky tales Ooh. by kooky ladies. Ooh, but do you want to look, listen to the Vogue quote? I've never even read these on oh, the cover. yes, yes. As intoxicating as a sake quote? mojito. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> who, who said Vogue? that? <laughs> Oh, my God. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it actually really oh. is. <laughs> anyway, that's my review. Oh, fuck. Great review, Jenna. Thank Way you. Way better review than Vogue could manage. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, I'll say. Far up. <laughs> okay, so. Oh, God. Where were we? Not books. Not books. So my not books is. Magazines are back. 
Oh, tell me, what did you think so, of Lord's um, essay? Sorry, I'm just jumping well, on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's all good. Um, so hot off the newsstand press today is the new Metro and its new kind of guys. I think it's uh, quarterly now, so it's a nice, big, substantial, chunky um, piece. But um, because it only came out today, I only got it today, so I haven't had a chance to kind of immerse myself in Lord's amazing piece on um, Antarctica. It's an exclusive essay that they've got. Uh, it looks really long and... Um, Juicy, but just wanted to say that it's really great. We have all these magazines that are back. Um, we have The Listener, who have come back um, a little while ago. They just published their 101 Best Books of 2020 yes. um, issue just in time for Christmas, which I had the pleasure of um, contributing to. If you have a look at that list, you can easily guess which picks are mine. I have. I have and I did. <laughs> you have and you did. You know me so it's well. It's a really great summer reading list. Um, it and, is, and great yeah, for Christmas, covers everything. Present, present choosing if you haven't got onto that yet. People are shopping, clutching that in their hands, I tell you what. They do, with the big circle, <laughs> yeah. the biro circle. Um, and the other one we have um, that I'm really excited about is North and South, which is back. And this December issue um, is so solid and has articles of such heft I feel really excited about it and I haven't felt that excited about a magazine in a really long time um there's a great essay by Dunedin writer Talia Marshall called What Māori Have Given the Game of Rugby. Ooh. And there's a fascinating piece by Donna Chisholm about some of the groundbreaking science that's being done um, at the Auckland Centre for Brain Research. There's great essays. I think it's a really triumphant return and it's just chock full of great writing. And I feel really excited about this um, yeah, I haven't really felt this excited about local magazines in a long time. I feel like there's been a real regeneration of sorts. Oh, yeah. And like I said, um, fresh off the newsstands today is the reappearance of the new Metro under the helm of the great Henry Oliver. Um, Tina is just hefty. like clapping her hands with joy behind you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, Such a cutie. This is so kick-ass, and the design is superb. Like, I don't want to sound like a dick, but it looks international. <laughs> <laughs> um, other magazines need to check this out and kind of clock what they're doing because it's really oh, good. Awesome. Um, and it just shows that there are actually some extraordinary writers in Aotearoa and great young writers, which is really exciting. Yeah. And I just feel really happy that there are places now for these writers to be published in print. Um, and it's great because it's local content, it's not syndicated, and it's New Zealand companies who own these magazines. You know, it's not some German company that doesn't give us stuff. Um, <laughs> for instance. So I am I just got this Metro today. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in. Oh, that's... Yeah, it's really exciting. What a great not books, yeah. Karen. And I uh, um, just wanted oh, to shout out, um, you mentioned Talia Marshall. I think she's amazing. She's so great. <laughs> she is so, like, kind of sharp and crack yeah, up. totally. And kind of bold and kind of gutsy. And, yeah, I look forward to a book from Hell her. yeah. <laughs> cool. Looks she keeps great. popping up, yeah. eh? She keeps, pieces by her keep popping up. And I like that... She sort of seems like, you know, just a little bit enough on the outside. Yeah, I completely kind of agree. Quite cool. She's not in that like yeah. horrible, like literary, like literati mm. kind of 
Anyway, I'll stop talking now before I say anything I might regret. <laughs> this could get, this could get really dark, yeah. but it won't. But no, I feel really excited about um, all these publications and new magazines are starting up. Saito Kitchen has started three magazines, um, you know, under the the fallout of, of Bauer, you know, people have started started doing other things. So yeah. What a yeah. time to be alive, eh? Shake it up. <laughs> so that's my cool. not books. Thanks, Karen. I'll just go next. Um, Thank you. Jenna's got a big fat blank by her, so yeah. that's a mystery. <laughs> I got myself. It's a surprise. <laughs> so I'll go She's next. She's going to spring it on us. <laughs> um, so I'm now watching season two of His Dark Materials, which has just come out on Neon. Um, I actually reviewed season one. Um, I thought you when did. When I was really sick, and I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. I'm like fully like, like on a cloud of how amazing it is. And, uh, and then I kept watching it and I was like, well, it's good, but it's not that good. I was clearly delirious. Um, Retracting <laughs> <laughs> um, your review. No, I mean, it, it is, a, so it's an HBO adaptation. Um, I've never watched the movies of his Dark Materials um, because they just looked so horribly like mawkish and childish <laughs> and just like dumbed down. Um so this is not like that. Um, so season one mainly focuses on um, the story of Lyra, just like the first book in the mm. trilogy focuses on her story. So she's a little younger in season one. And uh, child actors, you know, they do, God bless them, but like sometimes they're just so fucking annoying. Like, you know, the it's like that weird thing when you have um, children that are like little yes, adults. Yes, and it's not it's quite not right. right. And it, <laughs> we know some of them. It gives me the shivs a little bit. And um, so I think there was an element of that in season one where it's like gutsy um, female child who's, um, you know, real like um, stomping around in dungarees, like, you know, like <laughs> being really precocious and talking to bears. A bit like, I'm not afraid of bears. And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> in season two, she's a little bit more grown up and there's a bit less stomping around in dungarees um, <laughs> and a bit more um, like developing um, romantic tension with her co-star, um, Will. Um, Will is the name of the character. Don't know the name of the actor. That would be way too much research. <laughs> to be on brand for me. Um, but he is, I should find out this actor's name, but the actor who plays Will is terrific. And um, the actor who plays Lyra has grown up and is no longer doing that kind of like dungaree ingenue, ingenue thing. And um, they have a really great vibe together. And it's, um, it's. Uh, I'm really getting back into it. I think season two is going to be awesome. I'm kind of like a couple of episodes in. And um, The Subtle Knife is... It kind of it, it relates to the subtle knife, which is the second book in the trilogy, which is my favourite. Um, um, so yeah, I'm I'm super excited to be back on that buzz, but not as excited as I was when I reviewed season one because I was out of my mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I just—it's good to know your critical faculties are still yeah, intact. <laughs> and um, oh, I also wanted to shout out. Um, just an article that I read a little while ago on The Guardian. Um, Daisy Johnson did a wee roundup of horror fiction for, ha I guess, for mm. Halloween. I think it came out on Halloween. Um, called Beyond Stephen King and Shirley Jackson, The Best Scary Stories of Recent Years. Um, and 
I just opened that article and then I opened my library app and I was just like putting every single title into it and reserving them. And now I'm like just wallowing in all this amazing like modern horror. Um, so I'll link to the, I've linked to that in the pod notes. Um, do recommend. And in fact, one of the books is on my TBR pile and I will talk about it because a little bit more when we get to it because I've almost finished it. Um, so that's a little teasy tease. Yay. And now it's oh. time for Jenna's mystery <laughs> notebooks. I just have nothing. <laughs> no, I always have nothing. I'm uh, always scraping. It's that time of year, right? It's that barrel. time I've of year. I've just been working. I watch The Bachelorette yeah. and then I watch Kath and Kim. That's all. That's my yeah. life for it. Oh. Jenna, I, I think we understand yeah. because, you know, I think for us book people, we kind of realise how, not, I'm not going to say sad, but how immersed we are in, in books and Anything outside of that can be, yeah, especially this time of year, if you work for in the sure. book trade, yep. very yeah. immersive in books. I, I yeah. And even though I was just being really mean, um, I do understand. And <laughs> we also, we, do you remember that time when we cancelled not books? Because none of us could think of anything that wasn't books. So we've yeah. all been there. It was sad times. Oh, no, I can, tell, I can tell you something, but it was a little while ago and I think it's going to come back. Was, you know how during lockdown... I um, was really into Chris Parker's felting on Instagram. Oh, yes. Yeah. You got me I onto him. I to the yeah. live felting show. <laughs> so he just did it in front of a live audience and it was really great. He just like talked and like tried to make kind of the equivalent of the hedgehog on the, the front of Earthling's book in an hour <laughs> while talking. <laughs> and he had... Did you crack up? Oh, it was really funny. And he had his... um. His like camera filming his hands, so you could see what he was doing on his screen. But I that think gives me a little bit of a shopping channel vibe, which I love. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and he got this from our favorite place, Daiso. Oh, I love Daiso. Um, I've spent hours there at a For time. For sure. So I mean, that, I went to that like oh, I don't even know, like ages ago. But I think he's going to bring it back because he had this thing. He sang a song about how he has a uh, theatre degree and now everyone just wants to see him felt and so I think he's just <laughs> he's like he's selling them out <laughs> oh cool so look Amazing. out for it yeah I'll be keen cool sounds good did it Jenna I got there yeah, in the end yeah you did it despite Thinking everything day. god <laughs> <laughs> okay TBR so we're on to the TBR and so I need to seriously keep cracking on hard out with my reading of New Zealand fiction for my duties as judge for the Jan Medlicott Acorn Prize for Fiction for the 2021 Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. So I'm going to be fully immersed um, in reading a lot of New Zealand fiction. So much good stuff. And around that, I have a few Fitzcarraldo editions titles to read from the amazing subscription that Nick, my partner, got me for my birthday. Um, I recommend this subscription. It's just such a delight. Every month I get these two books from Fitzcarraldo, one fiction and one non-fiction, and they just keep coming. And it is such a joy. It's the gift that really does keep and giving. so um, good on so your bookshelf. Oh, when I finally get some more, <laughs> I'm running out of bookshelf space. It's pretty diabolical. Um, so dreamy, but there's a new Annie Erno that's due any day now, so I'm very excited about oh, that. Yeah. And the other one that's on my TBR pile, and with huge 
thanks to White Rabbit Books in the UK for sending me a copy of old mate David Keenan's third novel, Exterbeth. Um, you guys will know that I've spoken about For the Good Times and this is Memorial Device at length anywhere to anyone who will listen. I'm such a fan of David Keenan. Um, and this book, Exterbeth, is my December book for review for RNZ. So keep an eye out for that. I was glad to hear you pronounce that because I was wondering whether it was Exterbeth or Christabeth. Like, oh my like gosh. Christmas. <laughs> Way to like spin me out. Have I been no, saying uh, it No, wrong? no, I no. I, just, I assume that yeah. you know what you're talking about. I was, just, I, I was, I read it and I was <laughs> like, I can't wait does. to hear how this is pronounced. <laughs> yeah. I did get an email from RNZ saying, oh, just ahead of your review, can you just let us know how to pronounce this? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Catherine's not fumbling around, uh, but um, yeah, so I've got a lot of reading. It's great. <laughs> a good problem to have. What are you guys up to? Well, mm. um, so from my reading of um, Daisy Johnson's um, Horror Roundup, I got out from the library this wonderful book called White is for Witching, and it's by Helen Oyeyemi. Um, she is a mm. British author who, um, she's been um, on people's radar for quite a while. She Her um, yeah. debut, The Icarus Girl, I believe, came out when she was like 18 or something. Wow. So she's insanely talented. Um, and Does she have a book called The Tiger something? Is that her? Uh, Tiger. This is, Had a green cover. this book is is quite old, so okay. um, <laughs> it doesn't have all her books listed. Um, but she's she's written quite a bit. So this came out, when did it come out? 2009. And she's, she's extremely prolific. Um, the last book that I remember hearing about a lot is Boy and Bird. Um, which? Is that a restaurant on Ponsonby Road? Is that a chicken no, shop? No, it's oh. called Boy Bird Snow or Snow oh, okay. Bird Boy. Something like that. Oh, my God, you're right. Boy and Bird is the name of a chicken joint on K Road. Uh, no, Ponsonby Road. Yeah. Ponsonby Road. I think there's a. I think oh. there's one on K Road as well. Stop correcting me. Sorry. Sorry. No, it's fine. You shouldn't be sorry because I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so Boy Snow Bird or Boy Bird Snow. Um, anyway, this is the first book that I've read by her, and now I'm, like, kicking myself for never reading her before because it's terrific. Um, so this is... I've nearly finished it, but I'll try not to make it too much of an actual review. Um, it's set on the White Cliffs of Dover. Um, this family, um, kind of similarly to Daisy Johnson's sisters, which I reviewed on the last pod, yes. this family has this house that they have this very um, uncanny connection to. And again, similarly to, da- similarly <laughs> to Daisy Johnson, um, it's through the it's through the women in the family. Um, so the women in this family, they all have pica, which is a condition that causes um, people to eat things that are not regarded as foodstuffs. So things like dirt, or in this case, chalk mm. from the cliffs. Um, there's there's elements of haunting. There's elements of vampirism. Um, so you have these twins and they have this, you know, what twins are like um, <laughs> in, in stories. They're, they're often like, you know, weirdly close and, you know, have this kind of spiritual connection. Um, and in the second half of the book, you get a young woman who is of, um, who is black, but she's adop- been adopted by these um, 
by these white British parents, and she um, is a kind of counter to the extreme whiteness of these twins. They're a very white family. They live on the white cliffs of Dover, um, <laughs> and there's an element of um, them being slightly vampirical towards the new migrants who come in through Dover because, you know, Dover's that traditional kind of barrier yeah. to migrants throughout history. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff about kind of, um, you know, it's called white is for witching, kind of like um, uncanny whiteness, I would say. Um, but also there's elements of Nigerian folklore, um, you know, like vampire tales, um, lots of cool mm. shit, just really enjoying it. Um, cool. And then I just got this book, Bug Week by Irene Botre. Yeah. Um, so I recently read, um, I think it was a story by her, maybe on Newsroom, um, where... She did a great piece on the spin-off recently, is it was that the one? one where um, about the woman stalking her ex... Oh, no, it's a different oh, She's one. so good. Oh, she's cool. so good. She is really good. So this good. is her book of yeah. short stories. Um, she is a Whanganui-based author. Um, she is. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to crack into that. And I yeah, also I've got that as have well. a book that is um, actually self-published by a friend of mine. It was recently released at Unity Books in Wellington. Um, it's called The Residence of Wellington, and um, mm. in it she has interviewed various um, luminaries, I guess, of Wellington. And oh, is that the one that there was? It was a blog. It was a blog or a yeah. website. The Residence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's done a really beautiful job of self-publishing it. And there's stuff by. Um, so she's interviewed people like the owner of Loretta. Um, it's cool. very intimate. Oh my gosh, Loretta! Telly Lloyd is in it. Um, of course, she has to be. Fiso is in it. Um, Amazing. So it's not for everyone. Probably mainly for people who are interested in Wellington, <laughs> um, but it could yeah. be a really great <laughs> gift, I think. And I've just been dipping That's into cool. it and being like, "Oh, I love you know." I just love getting an insight into people who are really cool or really talented, and and seeing yeah. them in their homes and. Yeah, it's yeah. quite lovely. So, you know, thought I'd give that a wee shout-out as it is on my TBR pile, which is actually quite small at the moment. Um, what? I know. You know why? <laughs> it's because I missed picking up my holds at the library. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's that's my little TBR pile. Nice. It must be quite satisfying as a librarian to, like, take the old holds <laughs> off. Like, just be you like, missed your oh, chance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Going back uh, in the, especially the ones that have, like, a hundred holds lose. on them or something. Uh, <laughs> look, look, it's, you know. <laughs> or maybe it's annoying to them because it's more It is admin. more admin, for sure. They don't give you much time, eh? Like one, no, they the, don't. The one time no. I missed it, well, it is, it's like a week. You need to do Um... But the one time I missed it, it went into my spam randomly, and I was so annoyed I missed the book. So then I oh, never read nothing it. Nothing worse. Yeah, yeah. And then you're well, like, well, guess I'll never read that. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of the library, so um, the books that we talked about, um, Shaggy Bane and Real Life, I got out from the library, and I really stubbornly didn't take them back in time. So they actually did a crew fine. So if any kind. Um, library worker listens to the pod wants to wipe my fines that would be amazing a dollar a day eh that's heaps a dollar a day man far out so just uh do a little um i've got a couple of things on my tbr pile i don't have much either but i'm savoring things for the 
the summer reading when I'm sitting on Great Barrier Island for a mm-hmm. week over New Year's. I'm going to take a very special pile over. Um, Can't wait to hear what they but are. The one that I'm reading right now, and I've about 40 pages in, is Homeland Elegies by Great. Ayad Akta. And I picked this up because my colleague Siri said this is one of her favorite books of the year. And um, it's kind of sort of been, I don't know, it came out in September, but then it sort of just kind of, you know, September releases. Who, what, what A are lot those? came out yeah, in like September. Yeah. Just kind of slotted oh, yeah. in. But um, it's kind of like a memoir, autofiction, and it's about this man whose father is a heart surgeon and he ends up being the the like heart consultant for Donald Trump and um it's about a fam- a Muslim family after 9/11 it's about the american dream it's about capitalism it's about the journey of an artist in america and so he like of course everyone's read this book and been like what's real your dad's your dad's a heart surgeon. Did this actually happen? You are a Pulitzer-winning uh, playwright. Did they, that's what the character is. You've got the same name as the character. Is this real? And he will—he ne- never really says. Nice. Um, and he wants to find a form that expresses the confusion between fact and fiction, like our lives. <laughs> um, and so he's pilfered a lot of stuff from his life, and he, he kind of wants it to be like a reality TV show. Um, that's how he presents it. Um, so it's one of those books that it is so immaculately written. It's quite dense. And so you can't just whiz through 50 pages. You've kind of got to read every single word. Um, and it's so sharp and just makes all these little observations of America today. It's quite interesting reading this because this would have come out while Trump was president. And now, thank the Lord, he is... On the way out the door, and but I think it's such a moment to read a book like this. Um, but it yeah. also com- takes you back to massive events like nine eleven, and um, that kind of puts everything into context. It's really smart. It's like mm, I've read um, quite a bit of, <laughs> about this book, and it does look extraordinary. It looks so great. I don't yeah, know, like because it. it just feels like such a like a book that could win a prize but I'm not sure if it would have missed the deadlines or not maybe it just felt mm. yeah, like it feels like one of those books but because it came out in September it does. I think it's just missed the boat maybe it might come out it might go into the next round yeah maybe, maybe. maybe. So, so like the National Book Award or the Pulitzer yeah, yeah. again maybe it does, yeah. yeah it totally feels like one of those books so we should keep it keep mm. an ear out keep an ear the, out for the name of this book and it I'll finish it again yeah and then I've got this big chunker um, oh yeah <laughs> remote sympathies which I am Chunky actually going to take away with me um, nice I really like Catherine Chichi's writing I actually liked um, The Beat of the Pendulum a lot more than The Wish Child which was way more um, uh, experimental more experimental and contemporary and like fresh and interesting um, so the remote sympathy is kind of goes back to um, Germany and World War Two, which may sound a bit like a snore <laughs> but I've heard such great things about this novel that I'm going to have to read it 
Louise, Louise so it's going to spit out her drink. I almost did a spit take. Just, just calling Nazi Germany a snore. Like, no, I love you know it. I, mean? I know, like, I love it. You know, it made just, me laugh. Sorry. Take I, that, Hitler. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> you know, there's so many books set in that this time. So you do have to do, like, you have to be really good to make it stand out. And, 100%. And I tell you what, it's Carol Bues from the Women's Bookstores review that really made me want to read it oh. because she was so enthusiastic mm. about it. And she talks about how this book is really about willful oblivious, obliviousness and how it really translate into, translates into the world today. And it's just, um, she just cried at the end. She just thought it was amazing. So I thought, well, Carol likes it. I will probably like it too. So that, I love reading a really big, long book over the summer. Oh, so yeah. That's, yeah. That's nothing better. The longest in. one I've been sent. So this is the one. <laughs> so it's called <laughs> yeah. Remote Sympathy. Remote Sympathy what a by Catherine Chichi. Yeah. They really nailed it. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah, eh? Really great book design. So. I've got that to read yeah. as well, so I'll try and read it in unison yeah. with you, Jenna. <laughs> but don't tell me what you think until May next no. year. <laughs> tell me what you think because I'm quite yeah I I'm quite fussy with books that I read about World War Two because it's like yeah you know it's, I have a personal connection like mm-hmm. through my family to yeah. that era and that that time and, yeah. and what happened then, but also because but also because there have been so many books published about. World War Two yes. and, and Nazi Germany and the persecution of the Jews. So it's kind of like you you really got to have something interesting to say. Yeah, in a different or a different, different angle, angle at least. Yeah, or just a really amazing telling, like amazing writing. And that actually like connects back to Homeland Allergies, where there's this um, this piece about he's writing about his mum in Pakistan and. Um, she, you know, everyone talks about Jews, <laughs> like, you know, and, and that's like the reference of like a tragedy constantly um, of the historical tragedy. And when she's in America, um, it's talked to her about it. And what seems to bother her the most was that it reminded her not of what she'd been through in Pakistan, but of how little anybody in this country, America by comparison, knew about it. Mm. And I just, I think mm. it really brings that round to, to that. Yeah, that's so interesting. Mm. Thanks, Jenna. Excellent. Thank you. It was a tight little TBR. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, like from good. all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah. good because we need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do. So I think that rounds us up. So thank you so much to Tina and to the spin-off for having us. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. And to you, our listeners, for listening, please subscribe and also rate us because when you rate us, it really helps people to know that we exist. And please feel free to share us, um, the Paper Cuts pod, on your social media. And don't forget you can get in touch with us um, on Twitter and Insta. We'd love to hear from you at papercutspod and you can email us at papercutspod at gmail. Sorry, I was just laughing because I thought you were going to say the Gmail thing first and I was just laughing in anticipation of how onto it we are with our emails well, <laughs> and how many people email us. To be honest, how onto it yeah, we are right with our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Get in touch yeah. if you want and if you don't, it's we no love biggie. Gary. We love you anyway. Louisa and I just yeah. met a fan before. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah if, if you know us or you see us, we love it when you say that you listen. We're like, oh, we're just on our way to, to record now. <laughs> Who did you meet? Kristen. Kirsten. Shut up. 
shout out to Kristen. Kristen. Yeah. Okay. Kakite. Kakite. Bye, guys. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.